Well, good morning, Grand Prairie Alliance Church. So glad you're here with us online. What a great worship time and a good prayer time with Ruth. And uh, I am very happy you're here. Now, if you've been following any of our online stuff, you know that uh, uh, we were in a conference call last week with 1,000 other pastors with our Premier, Premier Kenny, and with Dina Henshaw. And just to say to you, I mean, nobody can ever give any firm dates but we are optimistic that by the middle of June, we may be able to have some kind of live services here. Now, there's lots of details we don't know, lots of things to work up, but you can be praying for that because uh, there's a lot of work to kind of flip everything back to where things were. So, but I'm excited, I'm thrilled. And uh, if we can keep our infection rates down and things are moving ahead, uh, I am optimistic that we will be seeing that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word, let your blessing, your anointing, and your power be here. Oh God, how our minds need to be cleared, how our biases need to be cleansed, how our fears and our anxieties need to be stilled by your peace. Let your word speak today powerfully. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, last week we were uh, walking through the book of Job, and uh, what a good book, I think, to start this Heroes of Faith stuff. And uh, Job, of course, went through it all. He had everything go wrong. And uh, to the end, he held on. He held his faith. And in the end, our great God rewarded him 10 times what he had before. And I want you to understand that often the stuff you go through, there is a greater purpose all things work together for good for those that love God. And uh, sometimes it might even be some personal growth that's happening. Uh, sometimes there might be a greater kingdom purpose. Most often it's all of the above. And I have lived in my life and seen personally where there's been personal growth, where there's been kingdom advancement, where whatever it might be and the horriblest things that you can think happen, God is good. And it doesn't always feel like that, especially in these days as we're home alone and we want skin time, but God is good. And I think Job, the entire book that we went through last Sunday, showed us that. Well, this Sunday we're going to be in the book of Genesis, so you can get your uh, fingers there right to Genesis chapter 12 to start with. And uh, it's going to be good, and I'm excited. So today we're actually going to look at Abraham. And uh, Abraham, who originally his name was Abram, as the ladies at the beginning said, uh, he went through quite the incredible journey, and it's recorded in the entire book off and on in the book of Genesis. And by the way, it spans about 75 to 100 years. It's a huge time frame, and so obviously, I have about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to do communion. Obviously, I can't cover everything. I'm going to try to give you kind of the high points as I see them and how they can apply to us as followers of Christ. And uh, according to biblical accounts, Abram, or Abraham as he became later known, Abram, by the way, well, different translators say uh, basically it's the father or a father who served God. Uh, he is later named Abraham, the father of many nations, and he's a native of Ur in Mesopotamia and is called by God to leave his own country and people and journey to an undesignated land. How would you like to do that? I think a lot of our ancestors did that. 
where he will become the founder of a new nation, Israel. Now, I want you to listen carefully. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture like we did last week. Listen to the biblical recording of the life of Abraham. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, as we see the call of God on this unknown person in the land of Ur. Verse 1 begins, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now from here, that beautiful call is given that, that what God is about to do and where God's about to take Abram. And, uh, and if you didn't know, like I said at the start, it's a lot of years where it really begins to happen. Now, a few other things happen right after that. If you were to keep reading the book of Genesis, Genesis, Abraham, Abram is uh, delivered from Egypt, another whole side story. He has a conflict with his nephew Lot, uh, and then he rescues Lot. And so 25 years later, after this promise, get that in your head. 25 years later, we come to Genesis chapter 15, and we start at verse 1. And God reminds Abram of what he had promised him. Genesis 15, 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Now, I'm guessing God doesn't say that unless he maybe saw that Abram was afraid and losing heart and was kind of giving up, so to speak. Do not be afraid. I am your shield your very great reward. I mean, it's just reiterating what he had said before, 25 years before. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is, is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. I love it. And, and we've been going through this hearing God stuff in the last year as a church. I love the dialogue. And I used to often just believe God only spoke to special people at special times. But I've come to believe that through his word, through visions and dreams and what other stuff, and sometimes direct revelation, that God will speak to you today. And I love to argue with anybody about it because I believe God's speaking to you already. So here we are, and we come across where Abraham is complaining, and then the word of the Lord comes to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up the sky and count the stars. Now, I love it how in our office on Facebook, somebody wrote that the sermon coming up, we're going to see how God promised Abram the stars. He, he promised him the moon. Uh, he promised him so much. If indeed you can count them, looking at the stars, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Abram believed the Lord, listen to this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, I want to point out something really clear. God saw where Abram's heart was and he went directly to him and he ministered to his soul. And I want you to understand, I want you to soak this thought in. That wherever you're at right now, I am convinced as a follower of Christ, God wants to minister to you personally. He wants to speak words to you. He wants to speak songs to you. He wants to speak truth to you. He wants to get you to the point like Abram where he believed the Lord. If you're discouraged, talk to God. Read his word. If you're discouraged, listen, talk. Have a dialogue. God is in a relationship with you. The scripture says that when you became a Christian, you were reconciled to the Father. I mean, Adam and Eve, when they were with the Father, they walked with him in the evenings in the garden. God wants a relationship. He wants to be relational with you. As we follow the story along, unfortunately, and I say this sadly enough, Abram is given a promise and then Abram comes up with a plan to make the promise happen. Have you ever done that? You make plans or, or you think, okay, God wants me to do this. And you make plans and then you say, hey, God, by the way, can you bless my plans? Instead of this relational stuff where you go to God and talk to God. I mean, even in Job's case, even the worst case scenario where the whole world comes unglued and his whole Business and everything collapses and he loses children. He dialogued with God. Genesis 16.1, we come across this self-made diversion that, by the way, we still live with today, and you'll hear that in a moment. Genesis 16.1. Now, Sarai, she wasn't called Sarah yet, Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Oh, man, 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 man. Why are we so weak? Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her, to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Surprise, surprise. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Oh, we like to throw the stones. <laughs> we sure do. Blame other people for our choices and mistakes. <clears throat> I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think's best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her. They, he found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Kind of sounds like a Garden of Eden little talk. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel told, 
of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Listen to this description now of Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. This, if you didn't know, sets up a thousand, three thousand year kind of struggle in the Middle East. And uh, even a lot of the, uh, uh, if you were to look at some Muslim texts and Muslim teaching, uh, they kind of change the story and they will say that Ishmael was the one that got the blessing and that the Bible's account has been changed by the Jews. And really this is a conflict that goes on. You know, is it historically accurate? I don't know. But I can tell you that when I have been in the Middle East, only twice now, there is this huge uh, animosity between Arabs and Jews. Could it be that it started here? I, I think it's possible. I think it's probably right. I, I think this uh, hostility carries on. Verse 13 goes on. She gave his name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Verse 14, that is why the well was called Ber Lahoi Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram, listen to this, was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is a long time. This is like uh, 70, 80 years from the original promise. Uh, now I just want to ask you a question. Are any of you, because I know I am, guilty of taking things into your hands? It, it came to my light actually even just a couple of years ago. Even as we as a staff were seeking the Lord about some direction and some stuff. And we clearly heard God. A number of us heard the same thing. And so we began to launch ahead. And it became clear, and I don't even remember all the details, but it came clear to me that we missed one step. Yes, God gave us direction. God told us what we were doing wrong. God told us how to kind of move and change in a different direction. But what we didn't do is we didn't ask God, okay, what do we do now? What are the details how does this plan unfold? How do we make the course correction? And we used our own wisdom. And we did our own thing. And it didn't necessarily go the way that I'm proud of it should. Now, it wasn't horrific and it wasn't awful. And I don't even want to get into the details. But I want you to know that, yes, even pastors can sometimes get so enthused by the call of God and the voice of God that we forget then to include them in the plans. We just think, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go do it. Friends, we need to understand, God will give direction and then he will give us the hows, the wheres, like that, that whole kind of, uh, what are you to do? Now, sometimes when I ask God stuff, he says to me, it's up to you. 
Use your brain. And sometimes God will say, you know what the answer is, it's obvious. But you see, going back to this relationship that Abraham had, Abram had, or, or even Hagar who has been seen by God and now sees God, I mean, this is incredible stuff. We need to understand that our loving, caring, heavenly Father wants a relationship with you like that. And he does give you direction. And I am guessing that maybe it's been well, hopefully not 75 years, but a lot of years since God said, you're going to go do this or that. And you've forgotten all about it because it just feel, felt like it wasn't going to work out. Remember what the text said about Ishmael? He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone and everybody's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards his brothers. I was thinking this through, thinking, well, what if God told you that you were going to start a great business 40 years ago? And you started this great business, and in the business kind of world, you decided, well, you know, I, I'm going to sell it and go do another business, and maybe that wasn't, wasn't what you're supposed to do. And now your old business now begins to, you know where I'm going, compete against your new business, and your new business never really gets, you know, we need to hear God. We need to listen to his voice. God is the one who is incredible in leading us. And even in disaster, even in a lot kind of story, God is going to turn that around for the good of the kingdom and the good of you and your offspring. Now we keep going on in the text. And by the way, we know, remember how old he was, 86? And now another 14 years passes. Now this promise of God and, and these stars in heaven, uh, it's just taking a long time before God can have these offspring that he was promised or that Abraham can have these offspring that God's promised. And so God intervenes again. God jumps in again. And uh, God changes Abram's name. It's like this little subtle thing so that Abram who now becomes Abraham, which means the father of many, he can get it into his head, this is going to happen now. And sometimes it's little shifts and little subtle things that God does when he enters in your discouragement, when he sets a course just slightly different, and it'll completely lift you up. And let me again encourage you, be in relationship with God. Hear his voice. Get into the scriptures. Talk to him in prayer. Sit and listen for a response. So when God changes a person's name and gives a person a new name, it's usually to establish a new identity. God changed Abraham's father name to Abraham, father of multitudes. And his wife's name, Sarai, my princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. Let's read the account. Genesis 17, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was... 99 years old, this is 14 years later, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, just in case you forgot. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Remember how many years this has been going on now? No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make you I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is the lineage of Jesus. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now jump down to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Oh, here's the part that I really like. He laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now fast forward to the New Testament. Can you think of any story where this kind of thing's happening? Well, go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find it. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Ah, that's a pretty good father, a pretty kind guy. I mean, he's thinking of this new son he's about to have, although the text doesn't really say it, but part of me wonders if he had a little bit of doubt. And he's kind of hedging his bets and going, well, could you, could you bless Ishmael too a little bit? Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah, no longer Sarai, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. This is a relational God. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Again, let me remind you, God will give you a vision and a goal, and then he works along with you in the details to bring to fruition what he wants you to become and to be. And so many of us start taking the plans in on ourselves and we exclude God or we make plans and we say, okay, God, would you bless them? But unfortunately, this can just give us a lot of heap of trouble. It can end up in 3,000 years of enmity between two people groups. But I am so excited to say that as we continue to read Genesis, getting into chapter 18, verse 1, at this point, we know that Abraham, Abraham is really old. Now, I'm not really old, but I'm getting up there. And if I've learned anything in the last two years, it's that God isn't finished with Anthony yet. Oh my goodness, I've had some soul wounds healed recently. I had claustrophobia that I got in my plane crash that I was in 30 years ago. My claustrophobia, I got some healing from that. I took a trip to Florida with my wife and she was so shocked how I was pleasant to fly with because I wasn't, you know, grinning and bearing and holding onto her hand till it bled. I, I mean, she really enjoyed what God's, God isn't finished, not even with Abraham. 
And here it comes. And you probably know this story. Abraham, eight, Genesis 18.1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. The guy's 100 years old. If you're getting old or you think you're old or you think you're off God's list, uh-uh. he wants to keep growing you. He wants you to become more like Jesus. So God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Is this a little bit of a vision? Obviously. Of the one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world. So take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Here it comes. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Wow. Do you have that kind of commitment? If God asked you to give up your only son, you only have one, and it's a son of promise, uh, stars in the sky are counting on it, would you give him up? Well, we know as we read a little bit later, we're going to be reading Hebrews 11 in a moment, we know that Abraham is a man of faith. And we know that the faith he had is what saved him. It's not all the works he did. He was the first kind of seed, the, the founder of Israel, the, the nation where the seed of Jesse came from for Jesus. Uh, this, this beautiful life of Abraham, it really was all about faith right from the beginning. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, reading on, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. Story getting ominous. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. I was reading this this week and I go, I don't remember reading that. He piled wood on top of Isaac. Can you imagine? Well, I don't know what Isaac was thinking. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, mm -hmm, don't you think all this wood? Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them, there's a little clue, this faith. I mean, Abraham finally gets the promise of a son. And right here, he's going, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I have faith. God's got it all under control. He's asking me to do something I think is crazy, but I'm going to go with him. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I don't know if I was that angel, I'd be getting a little anxious at the point. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you, are not, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And if we were to keep reading the story, he sacrifices that ram. Now let me kind of start to tie this all up. We're going to have communion in a bit. I hope you got your elements ready. Sometimes in your life, God may say to you, you go figure it out. However, I believe our relational God always wants you to be talking through with him like you would your business partner, your spouse, uh, maybe even some trusted close friends. God always wants to be in a relationship with you. And you need to understand that God has his best interest at heart, the world's best interest at heart, the kingdom of God's best interest at heart, and your best interest at heart. Many years ago, and, and I, I could not come up with the story, and I woke up at three this morning, and the Lord put this one in my heart, and I said, do I have to share that? And God goes, yes. Okay, so this is one I don't think I have ever shared with you, church. It's a little bit embarrassing, so you'll hear it in a moment. Years ago, um, I was in college. My firstborn son was born, Brian, and he was just a baby. This is in the month of May. He was born in May. And uh, the job I had, I was being self-employed, trying to do painting on the side. It wasn't going well, and no money was coming in. I knew God had called me to go to college to be a pastor, but I started to get really discouraged and doubt that. And uh, instead of asking God what I should do, I came up with a plan. I thought, well, we have some connections out in BC. I know a guy that does tilt-up warehouses, and uh, I'm going to phone him and see if he has a job for me. So I phoned him. He said, sure, come on out. I remember packing up the entire house, the, the U-Haul trailer, and we were going to pull everybody out to BC. And here's the kicker. Here's the thing that I am so embarrassed about. I checked the mail that morning, and there was a check from a relative that would have paid all our rent and dealt with everything. And I also had two requests for painting quotes. You think I would have kind of unpacked the van at that point, but I didn't. I drove us to BC, and for the next eight months, I built tilt-up warehouses, and uh, I, w I wasn't as um, robust as I am now, size-wise, but uh, I lost about 40 pounds. I mean, it was like the salt mines. I mean, I felt like I was in this self-punishment mode. And, and in eight months, I thought maybe in a year I could save enough money. We could go back to Regina. I could get back to college. In eight months, I hadn't saved a penny. I mean, our costs were just unbelievable. Everything seemed to be going wrong. You see, I made plans without including God. And so finally, and I even tried to get another job in another career, and that all completely fell apart for me. And so I was going to be an air traffic controller. And by the way, I, I finally decided, no, i got to go back to school. I, I have been in sin. I have been in rebellion. I, I've done an Abraham kind of thing. I, I literally was doing something silly. I, I wasn't staying and being patient about my calling. And so I loaded up my family and moved them back to Regina. And oh, by the way, three weeks after I was in Regina, I got a call to be an air traffic controller, but I was already back in classes. You see, God, when you consult him, his timing is so clear and so perfect. Let me fast forward now. So I went to college and I had to student loan it quite a bit. I had a fairly healthy student loan when I was done, $18,000 I think I owed. Now in today's dollars, you may go, oh, that's nothing. My daughter's got 100,000 student loan. Well, to me, as a pastor who was in a small church, that was a little bit 
onerous and overwhelming. I started to wonder, did I do the right thing? And I had a Job experience. You know, I was in a plane crash. And uh, I, was, I have injuries to this day that bother me, eyesight, wrist. I got a back trouble. All these injuries, and I had lots of surgeries. It wasn't a fun time. So please understand when I tell you the rest of the story. One of the things that God did like Job for me was we went through this process. Now, I wondered in the time if I should sue the pilot to get the insurance settlement that I could get because I knew that's how our system works. But I have always believed that I needed to get permission of the pilot. So I went to the pilot and said, do you mind if I sue you so I can get the insurance company payout? And I was thinking to myself, I just tell her, yeah, go ahead. It's nothing personal, just trying to get the insurance. But the pilot said to me, no, I don't want you to sue me. This is wrong. And I remember, oh, I remember going away and I, I consulted with five pastor friends. They all told me to sue him. But I wrestled. I remember the night I was awake all night and I was wrestling with God. What should I do? What should I do? And God said, do you remember I gave you a promise a long time ago? that you were going to get through college, you were going to be a pastor, and I was going to take care of everything. I said, okay, well, you know you know what you're doing, God. I think I saw this as a great out. And what happened was that next morning, I got up, and I was about to phone the insurance company and to tell them that uh, I wasn't going to do anything, I wasn't going to sue, I wasn't whatever. And my phone rings just as I'm reaching for it to phone, you know, to set things in motion that everything was over. And uh, it's the insurance company. And the insurance company says, we want to settle out of court without lawyers. And I'm like, oh. And uh, in fact, there wasn't a big maximum claim that we could get anyway, but it would have taken care of my student loan a little bit extra. And uh, so I, I'm on the phone going, oh, this is incredible. I said, can I get back to you? Because I was immediately thinking, I need to talk to the pilot. So I phoned the pilot and I told him what they said. And he goes, hey, go for it. I was shocked. I was like, wow. And by the way, the settlement that I ended up getting, uh, there was no lawyer fees. They usually take 25%. I ended up getting more than what I could have if I would have hired a lawyer, if I would have done it my way, if I would have taken charge myself. Now, I want you to understand something, though. I was perfectly content and willing to walk away from it all. I, I literally was willing to sacrifice my son, my future. And I'll tell you that we were having a really hard time making those student loan payments on the wages I was getting. We had three kids and a fourth one about to be born, and it was really tough. But the Lord stepped in, and I'm glad I listened. And I believe in my case, it was literally, I said, okay, I'm going. And this has happened to me over and over again. I said, okay, God. And God makes his way. He makes things happen. And by the way, he could have let me struggle and suffer and try to make that pay. I was okay with that. I, I had to say to myself, do I believe or don't I believe? Do I trust or don't I trust? And in my case, I said, no, I trust God. I'm going to move ahead. So where are you at this morning? What's kind of been your life story? Has there been a lot of hardship? And I think there's enough things in Scripture that can make sense of almost anything in our lives. There's enough stories this way or that way so that we can understand and, and by the way, in the plane crash, my church grew because of it. I grew because of it. My student debts got paid because of it. 
oh, I, I don't sleep at night. I was awake at three in the morning because my back was hurting so bad from my plane crash. So it's not like this has been a, a life of joy in it all. But you know, it is God who is in control. I think you need to understand, like I need to understand, the cliche, have faith, have faith. I want to end with Hebrews 11 before we go to communion. Oh my goodness, I'm over time. Hebrews 11 and a little bit into chapter 12. Now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was was visible. By faith, jumping now to verse 8, by faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he's as good as dead, he was that old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Jumping now down to verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended by their faith, yet none of them received 
received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Where are you at today? Are you weary and losing heart? God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to touch your soul. He wants to give you courage. He wants you to long for that kingdom yet to come. And before us is a communion table. And it is a beautiful thing. We have the bread representing his body. And we have the juice, the grape juice, representing his blood that was spilled for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, <coughs> as we take communion, your word warns us to examine our hearts, to not do this in an unworthy manner. <laughs> to remember that this life we have, this is not our home. And so many of us had, have had turmoil in our lives because uh, we've made plans and then we've asked you to bless them. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, this morning that you would speak very powerfully to us, uh, reveal any sin, any motive, any anger, any hostility, any lack of faith that we might have in you. And may we take these elements for what these elements truly represent, your body, which was given at the prime age of 33 for us. And you hung on that cross and the blood poured out to the ground and it spread like a tidal wave throughout the whole world, changing hearts and souls and minds. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do a continuing work in us. Those of us who have grown weary would be restored. Those of us who have grown tired, we would be uh, lifted up. Uh, those of us that have soul wounds so deep and hard that we can hardly function, that we would be healed. Oh, God, do a work in us as we take these elements. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, as I said, the, uh, the bread and, and uh, the scripture is very clear. And the apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for that beautiful truth. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. 
Thank you that you gave up your body and everything that you have. You became that one and only son who was sacrificed on the altar so that I could have life and have it to the full, that I could have faith, that I could have a reconciliation with you, that you would walk with me and I would walk with you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember the covenant Abraham had? This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. The book of Hebrews that we just read, we got that beautiful chapter of faith. And I do pray that the word will have spoken to somebody's heart today. It will have set them right, so to speak. They would be experiencing your peace that passeth all understanding. They would be experiencing everything that that blood came to do. The book of Hebrews declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Oh God, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners who need that ongoing cleansing as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, but we still have those Abraham <laughs> things that we do. We make our own plans. We do our own things. We lack faith. Forgive us, God, for that. We want to focus on the body and the blood this morning. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus. <laughs> we literally brought those elements into our body and symbolically, we understand that it represents you, Jesus, in us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Oh, God, change our hearts, our souls, and our minds. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.